ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports Tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. Rango, welcome sure. to ATV Talk. So um, we had a great conversation about a month ago or so. And yeah. I want to continue that, but I want to go backwards with you a little bit. And you're going to have to explain this because this will go on YouTube. Yeah. Why is there a quad behind you and not a three-wheeler? That's just, I mean, that's like um, um, going to the wrong church, man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it, I'll tell you, uh, I'm not a quad guy, like at all. Um, don't get me wrong, I like them, I mean, they're cool, but they're just not my thing. And I've owned a bunch of them, and, and uh, from Banshees to Blasters, I mean, just you name it. And, uh, you know, it's YZ and whatnot. Um, I've owned a bunch of them and they just, they're cool. They're fun, but there's something a little more special about the three-wheeler for me personally. Uh, I grew up on them, uh, 1987, I believe it was, uh, my dad bought a brand new Honda 250 SX, I believe it was, uh, in fact, we still have, my older brother still has it. Um, about that in 87, um, from big Valley Honda right here in Reno. And, uh, so I just grew up riding thrillers and I love them. And, uh, uh, this particular quad, um, I bought this for parts to build the modern three-wheeler. And I actually really, really, really regret tearing this apart. And not because so much that I ruined a four-wheeler. I don't care about that. Uh, you know, and I, I built a really nice three-wheeler. That's cool. But this is probably only has maybe 10 or 15 hours on it total. It's no seven special edition. And this thing is mint. I mean, just absolutely gorgeous. There's literally, I think there's one scratch underneath the frame underneath. Um, that's it. And so I didn't like what I'd done there. So I wish I started with a bike that was, or a quad that was less, uh, or just not as nice. I didn't need as nice a quad. And I ended up developing all the parts that are on my three-wheeler, uh, myself with Damien, uh, that are on there now anyway. So I didn't need any of these parts. So what I've been doing is slowly collecting parts and putting this one back together and I'll just give it to the wife. She likes YFCs and uh, she rides them. So uh, that's what that's about. Uh, I don't really ride them. So, <laughs> well, that, that, that's a good explanation. Um, yeah. So you, let's take, let's take me back in time a little bit uh, to the eighties, late eighties, early nineties, when you were riding three wheelers, uh, yeah. were, you, were you just trail riding or just uh, learning your skill set? So basically just learning my skill set. Um, you know, we, we started riding, like I said, 1987. Um, and basically, I mean, I rode that, that one we have, um, 
I rode that thing for years and years and years. And then my, my dad ended up selling it to my older brother. He still has it. In fact, I'm going to be restoring it here soon. Uh, and then I ended up buying a 200 X, um, probably right around high school, I'm assuming. And then, uh, and I didn't really do much with it. And I bought a couple other little thrillers and, and then I finally found that 350X that I raced in Vegas, Reno, uh, 2021. And I've had that thing forever. I've had it for 22 plus years. And, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I never did race. I wanted to race thrillers. Uh, but the problem was I came into it a little too late. I think I'm about 10 years younger than, uh, you know, some of the old timers that, that were racing them. And, uh, at the time, and they had already been phased out by the time I was getting serious, uh, and nobody accepted them. So I tried to get multiple associations to get me to, uh, get me in there and let me race. And, uh, most of them weren't, wouldn't have anything to do with it. So, uh, I tried to race best in desert facts, probably back going back about, uh, 99 or 2000 is when I asked them and they weren't having anything, uh, anything with that at all. They, they, basically laughed at me so but they're great now uh you know and they're great then too but there's just this stigma with thrillers uh that i honestly don't understand because uh i don't think they're any more dangerous than than a motorcycle i race motorcycles uh I've, you know i haven't really raced these but i've ridden these for years uh i don't think they're any more dangerous at all it's just a different skill set to be able to to ride that i i kind of agree with you the the problem being is 60 minutes killed us in 85 and yep. nobody's nobody could uh, rebut it the, the company that could have stopped it all was honda and yep. I, in my opinion they caved uh, yeah they did maybe yeah. the legal department uh didn't handle it correctly if they would have fought it um yep. I, I think it comes down to personal responsibility if you're going to throw your leg over any type of off-road vehicle motorcycle atv whatever it is three-wheeler it's your responsibility yeah absolutely uh you know you really you really should know what you're doing uh, no matter what like you just said i mean on any any vehicle it doesn't matter what it is um desert racing is kind of an interesting uh uh sport because it's one of the only sports in the world where you can literally if you have enough money you can literally go out and buy any vehicle you want and go jump in it and go race any race you want with no driver's etiquette education no safety education no no education at all and it's kind of a problem not that i'm not condoning it i mean it's 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 kind of nice it's, it's i don't like the rules i like to be able to you know, to be able to do stuff, uh, that is, uh, I don't know, easier to do. Let's put it that way. But it seems like when there's more and more rules and more regulations and this and that, it makes it harder for people to get into these sports. And that's why desert racing is nice to get into because anybody can do it. Yeah. Um, but it's also kind of one of those things, you know, it's a two-edged sword where anybody can get in a trophy truck and go out there and potentially hurt somebody or, or whatever. So, uh, thrillers for me, um, like I said, I raced dirt bikes. I used to race motocross. Um, I honestly, I, I did arena cross, uh, and I really didn't like it. I don't like this real tight technical stuff. I like to set up for jumps. And so I was always kind of more of a, uh, I would have been more of like a supercross kind of guy, but they've never allowed me to race supercross, uh, because I just, you have to go through, you know, all the steps to be able to get there. I never did it. So I got into freestyle 
Um, did a lot of freestyle stuff for a while. Uh, Ryan Labo is a buddy of mine. I used to work on his bikes and uh, he started calling me Goob Tech. So that's where the name Goob Tech came from. Uh, but I got on my shirt. It was kind of a joke. Uh, Googler, you know, he just started calling me Goob Tech. And, and uh, so that stuck. And, and when I started racing again in 2021, I decided, you know, I'm going to go with Goob Tech. That's yeah. awesome. Um, how long did you have to beat up on Best in the Desert before they finally said, let's do this? So to be honest with you, it was kind of a fluke thing. Uh, you know, I I ended up racing the Hare and Hound. I don't know. The, I don't know which one it is. I'm pointing at anyways. The one that says uh, second place there underneath the rugged. Um, I ended up buying a, I was out in the middle of the desert in Nevada and anybody that follows my page uh, knows that I'm always looking for old cars and trucks and stuff like that. And I, I have a YouTube page. I don't really do much for that, but uh, I'm always looking for old power wagons and stuff to, to restore. And I found these jet boats and I also like jet boats. And so I found this jet boat and I said, Hey, you know, I got to have that. So met the guy, I drove out there and I go out there in the park. And he's like, oh yeah, it's out there in the park. Go look. And here sits an XR Honda dirt bike sitting there. And I'm like, heck with a jet boat. I want the Honda. And, uh, you know, I actually wanted them both. And so I made a deal. I ended up buying two jet boats and the XR uh, in a package deal. And so I had been watching this, uh, this YouTube series, um, Gabe, on, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, I'm drawing a blank right now, but it's uh, uh, something magazine. Anyways, Gabe, uh, gosh, what's it called? I watch him all the time. Anyways, he does some stuff with Rocky Mountain and whatnot, but uh, I watch Gabe's channel and he takes these old bikes and he just fixes them up and he goes racing and a lot of Glen Helen stuff and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I, it was really an inspiration to me. And I thought, you know, this guy's going out there on old stuff, you know, and, and he's got a full-time job. He's, he's a, uh, he's an active duty. Uh, I think he's, uh, I can't remember what he does. Anyways, he's military, but, uh, uh, I thought he's doing it. Anybody could do it. I can do it, you know, and Gabe's very talented, but, uh, yeah, he has that old XR and I thought, you know what? I want a desert race. So I'm finally going to do it. I just, you know, for years, everybody told me how scary it was and how dangerous it was. Now you, know, you shouldn't do it because of this and that, the cost and how date, you know, mainly how dangerous it was. And so I said, you know what? <laughs> it's all nonsense. I'm going to, uh, I used to race arena cross. I did freestyle. This is no big deal. So I started ordering parts and I fixed up this old XR and I went and did the, uh, it's 2021. It was the Tonopah, uh, hair and hound national world hair and hound. And, uh, uh, I met Nolan Rudd, the tech inspector for best desert, super cool guy. Uh, and I started talking to him and, and he was giving me a little crap and I was giving a little crap back. And, uh, uh, and I said, Hey man, uh, I want to race Vegas Arena on my three-wheeler. And he's like, you are out of your friggin' mind. He's like, no way. And I'm like, no, yeah, I'm serious, dead serious. And he's like, no, he's like, dude, you're nuts. He's like, you can't, you can't do that. And I was like, no, I'm serious. I want to race it. And he's like, you really think you could do Vegas Arena on three-wheeler? I said, absolutely. I said, not only no, do I know I'll, I can do it. I'll finish it. And it won't be a problem. And I'm not trying to be cocky there, but, uh, and but I was being cocky, and and, uh, and he goes, you know what? I'll tell you what. He says we'll have some meetings. We'll see what we can do. And he said, call me on Monday. 
And so we did the race. I ended up getting second place in my first desert race ever, which was pretty cool. Um, as you know, lifelong dream for me. And, uh, so I called him on Monday. I said, Hey man, you know, I'm serious about this. He says, okay, I'm going to talk with Brian and, and the guys over there at uh, best in desert. We'll see what we can do. And about a week later, uh, BJ butcher, the owner of, uh, Vora off-road racing. Um, we had been talking back and forth and I asked BJ years ago, I said, Hey man, let me this thriller. You know, ha, ha, you know, that's all I got out of it. And uh, it was weird. Out of the blue, he just messaged me. He says, hey, man, uh, you, you're going to be there for the Fallon 250. And I'm like, no, why? And he goes, he goes, well, enter your thriller. I'll let you race. And I'm like, ha, you know, yeah, I thought he was totally joking, just pulling my leg. And he goes, no, I'm serious. He says, enter pro quad on your thriller and I'll let you race. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm not freaking out. And at this point, um, this is a little over a year ago, I had the 350X frame sitting here and I had it totally torn apart and I'm getting ready to totally go through it to build it for Vegas Torino. I hadn't gotten the uh, okay yet, but I was just getting it ready. And BJ tells me that and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, of course I'm going to do it. So I slammed the 350X together as fast as possible. And uh, Olson's Custom Metalworks sent me some awesome foot pegs and heel guards. And uh, I bolted those on in and an engine skid plate because like a fool, I threw away a lot of that stuff. Uh, when I was younger, I thought lighter was better and I was in more in a sand stuff. We got Sand Mountain here pretty close to, to Fallon. And, uh, but it was, yeah, slammed it together. And I went out there and I got third place in pro quad on this old 86 Honda. And I mean, that was like huge for me. You know, it meant, it meant a lot. And uh, so I got to thank Lee, uh, I got to thank uh, BJ and Laura for that. That was absolutely incredible. And so then I'm talking to Nolan and we had a few meetings about it, this and that. And he says, he messaged me one night and he says, Hey man, uh, we made it happen. You're going to be able to race Vegas Torino. And I'm like, you know, for me, that was a huge, huge dream. That's a, that's a 25 plus year dream. You know, I started following uh, Best in Desert back when they started up doing uh, Vegas Arena, which I think was like 98 um, when they started doing Vegas Arena. And, and uh, uh, man, a huge dream. And when he told me that, I was just like, you know, just absolutely taken back. And uh, so I got to thank Nolan. I got to thank uh, Megan, uh, Jeff, when he was there, Jeff Phillips. Um, all those guys made that happen. And especially Nolan. Nolan really put in the work. And did all the meetings, and uh, we yeah we were able to announce it, and uh, uh, I announced it, and then a couple other people you know caught wind of it, Fishgistics, uh, and Wood Beaters, they found it, you know, and then they they posted it up for me, and, and uh, yeah, it took off from there. It was, it's been pretty incredible. That that's pretty amazing story. The series that you raced on the two hundred and fifty, what was yeah. that? Uh, so that was the that is best in desert, but it was one that they work with uh the national hare and hound okay um it was the the uh, tonopah uh hare and hound national world uh i think it's world championship hare and hound or whatever it's called isn't that uh, by the ama that's ama yeah correct and so, they're actually having that one here in a couple of weeks so did you have to get sanctioned by the ama i did yeah and i, I had wheeler and they allowed that oh no no that was uh that was on the the xr on the dirt bike. Um, and yeah, they didn't, 
I was told, so talking about the AMA, I hadn't been registered with the AMA since probably like 2000 or 2001, back when I used to race uh, arena cross, but I re-registered with them for the Heron Hound. Um, and I did that on the XR, the dirt bike. So, but when you got to go race the three-wheeler. Yeah. When you put it back. That was, what? yeah, that was for, and that was just a local, uh, that's a local Northern Nevada, Northern California association. Do they talk to the best in the desert guys at all? They do. They do. Um, Do you think that was them doing a little pre-run with you to see how it went? No, you know, that was the interesting part is I, is when BJ messaged me and said, Hey man, enter the race. I said, did you talk to best in the desert or something? And they said, and he, and he goes, no, he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, like, literally I'm trying to get best in the desert to allow three wheelers. And then you randomly, you know, I mentioned a few weeks previous, I'm, you know, also asked him again, you know, but still I didn't think it was gonna, anything was going to come of it, but then he was like, yeah, come, come on out. So, I mean, he hadn't talked to Best in Desert. He hadn't, I hadn't posted anything. I mean, there was nothing. He just invited me and I was like, man, like, heck yeah, I'm going to jump on that. And so, yeah, pretty, pretty wild. I'm, I'm really thankful to, to BJ and Laura and uh, Nolan and everybody at Best in Desert. So how long did it take for you to let anybody know that you were going to race Vegas to Rio? <laughs> it was immediate. Uh, when, when Nolan messaged me and said, Hey man, you're going to race Vegas Torino. Uh, I waited probably a couple of days. Um, I waited for best in the desert to put together, uh, the post that they wanted to post. Um, and I can't remember which one it was, but I think it was actually a picture of me that, uh, Todd, a buddy of mine, Todd, Todd, uh, that does photography and whatnot. And he does killer, uh, FPV, I think it's called drone, uh, footage and whatnot. Uh, he got a picture of me. Uh, I think it was him that got a picture of me. Anyways, Destin doesn't use that. And then they made a, a nice, you know, post. And then I posted that, uh, we kind of coordinated and we all posted at the same time, you know, within an hour or so, uh, the, the three wheeler community, we won't get too deep into it, but the three wheeler <laughs> community is pretty tight knit and, it is. um, it's not small, but it's not large. Yeah. How did they receive that post? Uh, honestly, a lot of positivity. Um, I was immediately messaged by multiple people that said they wanted to do it um, and asked, you know, how, how that had happened and whatnot. And I kind of told them what I just told you. Uh, but, uh, you know, there was... Uh, guys thanking me and stuff. Um, so for getting it going again, uh, a few different people reached out, um, and, uh, yeah, we just messaged him and told him, Hey man, this is what we got to do. And, uh, you know, try and, uh, get as many people as we can and, and get it going. So I, everybody, everybody I talked to, I said, yeah, come on out, let's do it. You know, that's pretty incredible. So how much time did you have from the day they said, let's go to the race so that you could prep that 350. Uh, I think because it was totally torn apart uh, when I did the Fallon 250, I literally slammed that thing together, went out, did that. And then immediately the same day, I mean, I came back and tore it apart again and I wanted to get everything powder coated because it was, 
it nobody's seen it. I haven't posted any pictures of it. Uh, well, I take that back. There's one video, old video, but you can't really see it. Uh, I had this thing. I don't know why, but I had this thing for orange, gray, and white uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I had a real custom power wagon, 44-inch tires, and a custom airbrush paint shop. It was all orange, gray, and white. Anyway, so the frame was orange. It just looked like heck. And it had this custom seat cover. And I'm like, no, I'm going to put it back to the original Honda theme, uh, 1986 Honda theme. And, uh, you know, which I'd been wanting to do for a while. And so I had to powder coat everything. I had to get, you know, I knew I was going to get a high flight seat because, you know, that's the best thing you can do on a thriller or quad, uh, especially for desert racing. And, and so I'm going to get a blue seat cover and this thing. So I had like probably, I want to say I had like three weeks and I had to get everything powder coated, go through everything, uh, minus the engine. I never touched the engine to this day. I haven't touched that engine. Uh, and yeah, just go through everything and make it look as good as I could. Um, and so, yeah, by the time I got everything back from powder coat, uh, I think I had seven days to assemble it and get to Vegas. Wow. That's cutting it a little close. Don't you think? Uh, especially considering the fact that, uh, one, I didn't know what my jetting was going to be. Cause I know the start down there is around 2,200 feet. Um, we're up here at 4,000 to 5,000 feet and I've been running this forever. Uh, so honestly, I didn't know what, I, where I was going to be at for jets. I didn't want to blow it up. Uh, so I ended up jetting it way, way too high. And I found out that it was actually jetted a little too high for where I was at. It was, uh, very conservative and, uh, that's why I've never heard it, but, uh, uh, a little high for where I was at to start with the jetting I had in it would have been perfect to start with, but I upped it two sizes. Uh, and lost a whole bunch of power uh, for the beginning of the race, which was terrible. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was interesting. Uh, going back to the to the beginning of of you know, let's say seven days till Vegas Torino. Uh, man, I was sweating it, and I didn't know I didn't know if I was going to make it. I'll be honest. Uh, I had a bare frame. I'm trying to polish everything and clean it up and make it look as good as possible because I knew this was kind of a big deal. And it was for me and uh, I want it to look as good as possible and function as good as possible. So I'm putting this thing together and I did it. I, the main majority of the, of the work I probably did in five days. And uh, I was getting up probably uh, I'm kind of a late night guy anyways, but uh, getting up and getting going nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. And I would work till one, two, three, four in the morning. Uh, all five days. Um, the day that I was supposed to leave, uh, I had already been up. Um, I was up for, by the time I got the thriller together and cause I was still fabbing stuff. I was making the grab bar and I was, uh, modifying the skid plate, just all kinds of stuff. Uh, oh, and I was making, I made the, you saw the, I think you've seen the big, uh, skid plates that I make that have a chain guard built into them and whatnot. Um, I was making that. And by the time I finished that up, I had been up for 31, 32 hours, something like that. Um, on four hours of sleep the previous night. Um, and it was, I want to say three 30, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, I finally got it together. No testing on the electrical at all. I had those big hella seven inch hella led lights on there and a battery and a, uh, I converted the stator to, uh, to an open ground, you know, so it was DC 
and did a rectifier from uh, Trail Tech. So that stuff wasn't even tested. And I jumped on the thriller and I went down the street right here from my house. I can go down the street and in a quarter mile, I can be on dirt and you can take off and you can go for a hundred miles. And uh, I went down the road, probably literally two miles. And oh, I also geared it to the moon uh, <laughs> and I went down the road about two miles, turned around, came back and I rented a U-Haul. This was hilarious. I rented a U-Haul because I had a, a guy, a buddy of mine meeting me in Vegas, uh, with a chase truck. He was going to chase me up and he's originally from here, but he lives down in, uh, Tucson now. And so I didn't want to drive my truck down there cause I had nobody to drive it back. And he's my chase guy. So I rented a U-Haul. And so I load the thing in the U-Haul, I jump in the truck and I leave and I made it almost to Tonopah, uh, which is about halfway. And I couldn't take it anymore. I had been up you know, coming up on 40 something hours and four hours of sleep. And so I pulled over, I took about a 45 minute nap and then the sun woke me up because it was so hot. And then I, I think I drank a Red Bull <laughs> and, uh, jumped back in the, you know, driver's seat, man, and freaking took off. And, uh, I made it to, there's a turnoff. You can go to, uh, I can't remember what the name of the town is anymore. Anyways, the main way you go down to Vegas, uh, was blocked. There was a five car accident with fatalities and it was blocked. And so we had to turn around and go back and go through the town. And I don't know why I'm skipping my mind right now, but the town that uh, high flight seat is it, uh, high flight seats and seat seats they're in, uh, you can go through that town, but it takes you to the West side of Vegas. And so I go back and I was already in line waiting for an hour and a half, I think before we turned around, but turn around went that way and tech was closing. Tech was going to close at four o'clock, I think. And I literally rolled in there at like 3.30, uh, just wasted, absolutely wasted. And I uh, rolled in at 3.30, got through tech real fast. Uh, you know, Rugged Radios helped me out, got some stuff going. And, and then uh, the best thing I did, and I'd never done this, is I got an IV. Uh, I went over to uh, uh, the gal that uh, does all my IVs, um, and she gave me an IV. And I felt like 100% better after that. And then we went back to uh, a buddy of mine's house, or he's a buddy now, but Nick Fickle, my chase guy, took me to a buddy of his and um, Dakota, uh, his house. And we had to rejet the carburetor. I tested it. And I was like, man, there's no power. Something's wrong here. And so I rejetted the carburetor and we tested it out. I went down the road and I'm like, okay, this is it. And Nick Fickle had no way, he had a flatbed truck and he had no way to mount all the gas cans and the tires and the, all the stuff. And so he went down to uh, Dakota's shop and they built a tire rack to hold all the tires and the gas cans and everything else. I mean, just incredible. And Nick Fickle was up. He was up all night. He got one hour of sleep. Um, I jumped in uh, Dakota's toy hauler or trailer, whatever. I got three hours of sleep. So I was up for almost 50 hours on four hours already. And then I got three hours of sleep. And woke up in the morning and it's race day. <laughs> so just oh man, I was I was absolutely destroyed. I, I was delirious. And uh Nick Fickle got one hour sleep. He made a tire rack to hold all the tires and gas cans and everything. Freaking awesome dude. I love that guy. And uh Dakota. And uh and anyways, they got it done. We loaded everything up, or they loaded all that night. And so we jump in the truck and the, we thought the start was in Beatty, Nevada. 
And turns out the start was 40 miles north of Beatty. And so we're going to Beatty. We're like, oh, we got plenty of time. Well, another 40 miles is almost another 50 minutes or so. And we're running behind. And we're getting into Beatty and we're like, where's all the science? Where's all the people? You know, there's no. And then Nick realizes, hey, it's 40 miles north. And so we're doing 90, 95 miles an hour down the highway. And, you know, I'm delirious. Uh, <laughs> the camper. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Yeah. Sorry about that, Wrangle. Um, go yeah. back to the uh, you were you guys were in Beatty, and sure. yeah, so we're in Beatty, and uh, and we didn't see any signs or anything, you know, for uh, the starting area, and where the starting area normally was in Beatty, it wasn't there, and so we're going, oh crap, you know, and so Nick gets on his phone. And this is why he's my uh, he's my uh, crew chief, and he does all of my logistics for my uh, pits and everything else. The guy's incredible. And so uh, he jumps on his phone real quick, and he figures out, hey, it's forty miles north. And so we're like, okay, so we're doing like ninety ninety five down the highway. We're flying, and I'm eating a spicy salami sandwich, like the worst thing you could have at five thirty in the morning or whatever, you know. And especially before a big race, and uh, because the breaker on the on the camper blue and the microwave stopped so i didn't get my breakfast stuff and i'm a huge breakfast guy and so i didn't get my breakfast stuff so i'm eating this spicy slam uh spicy sandwich and uh forever it was hashtag spicy salami sandwich but uh <laughs> but uh, i'm eating this sandwich and nick's like oh we're gonna lose a cooler and he's looking in the mirror he's we're gonna lose a cooler we're doing 90 95 mile an hour we pull over we were gonna lose all of it the three-wheeler was hanging off the back of the truck and was hanging on just a couple straps. We had more on it, but it just everything shifted. Almost lost the three-wheeler that morning. And uh, yeah, we could get it restrapped and everything. And this is on, some of this stuff is on uh, my Instagram. So if you go way back, uh, you can see some funny videos, but uh, we get it restrapped and we haul butt and jump uh, jump out at the, you know, the start line there. And uh I'm throwing all our gear and everything else and getting everything ready. And thank God for those guys, uh, uh, Nick Fickle and his buddy and, and, uh, helped out a lot, got all the gear on and literally rolled up to the stop or to the start. And it was like two bikes or something was in front of me. That was it. Like I, there was no time at all for me to, you know, do anything. It was like, we got there right on time. And, uh, yeah, that was it, man. The, the, The green flag dropped and, and, uh, all of the stress of, of getting there and all of the, you know, the, how I felt, I felt terrible. I was just totally destroyed. Uh, all that went away immediately when that flag dropped. That was cool. And that first 50 miles, what was it like? Miserable. Uh, <laughs> uh, miserable. Uh, the first 50 miles, uh, not because of, Physically, I was doing fine physically. And the 350X, in my opinion, and, and Damien, you know, I work cl- real closely with Damien over at DT Motorsports now. Uh, great guy. And uh, the 350X, we both know and we both say that the 350X is probably, arguably, the best platform all around uh, thriller that's ever been built. Um, not the best suspension. 250R is probably a little better there, maybe a little faster. Uh, but just all around reliability ergonomics, the this, this steering, the rake on the, the forks is just really good. 
Um, is it the fastest thing? No, it's not. It's pretty slow, honestly. Um, you know, mine is quite a bit faster than a stock one. Uh, but yeah, so with the jetting, we jetted it down one size, but it's still one size bigger than I normally run. I had no power and, uh, it was just absolutely killing me because we went up over these, uh, mountains a little later in the race, but, uh, you still kind of go up a little ways and go over this hill. There's a couple of them. And I couldn't even hold third gear. Well, I couldn't hold fourth gear. I was in third gear on some of those hills and I was just pinned and I'm going, I'm yelling at the bike and I'm going, it has more power than this. What's wrong with this thing? You know? And I'm thinking I geared it too tall, too tall, you know? And I'm thinking this thing's geared way too tall. It can't, doesn't have the power to pull it. And so, and I was just getting absolutely slaughtered by the other guys. Uh, they put, by the time we got to pit one, they put, I think I want to say they put nine miles between me and him. And I was just going, man, this whole day goes like this. I'm going to get destroyed out here. And I was, I was angry because, you know, not so much angry, but just, you know, I knew the bike had more and I pull into pit one and we were going to wait till pit two to jet because the elevation comes up and I should have jetted right there at pit one. But I, I told the guys, I said, man, it is geared way too tall. Um, we're going to change gears if this doesn't get better. It wasn't the gearing. It was the jet. It was the jets. And so, uh, we kept going and it got better because, uh, it gets, after you go over those mountains and stuff, it gets a little better and it gets a little smooth, kind of fast section and a little flattery. And you come down off the backside of some of those mountains. And I made up, I made up six of those miles, I think, uh, between me and the, and the leader. And so I was catching them fast, which was pretty cool. Uh, and pulling to pit two, but then we lost some time because, uh, I said, man, it's still, you know, it's still way down. So we rejetted it. And, uh, and I'll tell you something I was, I could say it for the end of the story, but I broke the jet, the main jet. I was trying to do it too fast. Another guy was doing it and, and I think he boogered up the threads a little bit. Uh, and so, and then I got in there and I was like, and I got it in, I got it in straight and everything, but I just over tightened it a tiny bit too much. It's the first time I've ever broke a jet, but I didn't know it. And thank God it didn't fall apart or anything. It just cracked it and it stayed together and everything was fine and it worked. Uh, I didn't even know it until two months after the race. I, I was taking it apart and uh, went to pull the jet out of it and, <laughs> and it fell apart. I went, oh man. So I could have lost the race right there. Um, and uh, anyways, rejetted it and the bike came to life. It was like, okay, now we're going. And so picked up a bunch of power and, and uh, yeah, we started doing good. And uh, felt pretty good. Uh, it takes me going back. You're saying about the first 50 miles. The first 50 miles was hard on me because I had never raced a thriller in those kind of situations for that long, and so the fatigue was pretty bad. And but once you get through that wall, there's like a barrier for me. I'm sure everybody has. It, everybody talks about it. There's that barrier, and for me, it's like 50 miles, you know, or so. 30 to 50 miles or so. Once I break through that barrier, then I can just go all day long. And, uh, see, I was miserable. Um, but there's more to it than that. Uh, so I was, I passed a few people here and there, uh, you know, in that time. And I came up behind one of these, I, I don't know what it was, a Can-Am or a, I don't know. Anyway, I came up behind some sort of a big four wheel drive quad with like 32 inch tires and like, 
you know, I called it the couch. I don't know what it was. Can I, one of those thousand CC jobs. And, uh, and for some reason I would catch this guy in the, in the rough. And, and I thought, why am I catching this guy in the rough? He's got these big tires, modern suspension, you know, and everything. He should be flying through this stuff, but I caught him in the rough and that's where I catch most people. Uh, it's just cause I ride fast in the rough and, uh, uh, I caught this guy and I thought, okay. And I followed him for, I don't know, 20 miles. And I thought, man, please give me a clear section. The dust wasn't clearing at all. There was no breeze at all. And so there was just, this dust was hanging over the trail and, or the road. And I couldn't see at all. I couldn't see from, I mean, me to five feet in front of me at times. I couldn't even see in front of me. Uh, there was times I couldn't see the ground next to me. I was looking down. I couldn't even see the ground. And, and I told myself, okay, when we get to a fast section, I'm going to pass this guy. And we hit the lake bed and that freaking thousand CC quad left me like I was standing still. Uh, <laughs> just, and I was in shock. I thought, cause a lot of those Polaris and stuff, 350 XL has no problem taking them on. Uh, but not that thousand CC quad, that thing took off. And, I, you know, next thing I know I'm looking, he's miles ahead of me. And, uh, and then I caught him in the rough again. And I followed that guy. I don't know who he is. I hope he's watching. If you are next time, pull over. Uh, I caught him in the rough again. I followed that guy for a hundred miles like that. And I was just absolutely furious with the guy because I couldn't see. And I just, you know, and if I caught you thing in desert racing, I learned, uh, before even desert race, uh, years ago, 20 years ago, if you get caught desert racing, you already lost on time, pull over. And, and now that you're probably not even in the same class anyways. So just, right. you know, make it easy on the guy pull over. And so anyways, he, he finally pulled over about hundred miles out and, uh, I got by the guy. And then I honestly, I was in clear air most of the day after that. Um, wasn't too bad. It's funny. Cause in the dusty section, I'm praying, you know, and, and you guys probably know, I, I love Jesus. And, and, uh, so I'm praying and I'm going, God, please just give me a breeze. Just give me a breeze so I can see. And, uh, no breeze until the end of the race, there was a wind storm <laughs> and the wind was so bad. And I'm going, I said a breeze, you know, <laughs> but you know, and, uh, it was like being on Mars. I couldn't see anything, but a funny story on that, that guy too. I figured I was going to pass him in the rough. I said, you know what? I'm going to pass this guy and I'm just going to put my trust in my instincts and, you know, I'm praying to, the, to God, you know, please don't let me get hurt out here. And I just said, you know, what? I'm going to pass this guy. And I'm like, it's how these guys do it. Right. They got to pass him somehow. So I just get on it and I'm, I'm, Every now and then I could see the guy's taillight ahead of me, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, and little did I know I had a dirt bike doing the same thing with me. He couldn't see me. He was right off my, my back end, probably 20, 30 feet. And I didn't even know he was back there. And, uh, but he was just tailing me cause he couldn't see. And so I'm like, I'm pushing hard and out of the corner of my eye, I see that big thousand CC quad going the other direction. And I'm like, Oh no. And I, I just lock up the brakes. And as soon as I do, bam, I shoot up over this berm and got all crazy. And I'm thinking barbed wire fence, cliff, you know, I don't know what, where I'm at. And I uh, thank God there's nothing there, no trees or nothing. And I thought, okay, I'll back off. But then he, like I said, he finally pulled over later on and I got by him. But <laughs> did the dirt bike guy have any problems with you at that point? He almost got tangled up with me. I looked over when I hit the berm and I got all silly, you know, and I look over and he's right next to me doing the same thing, fishtailing. Finally, he got to straighten out and. I don't think he ever did pass me. Uh, I think I got straightened out and then he just backed off and I backed off from the other guy. And, and uh, yeah, I caught that other guy in the rough again. And so, 
but that's how the very beginning of that race went. It was rough. Isn't Vegas Serena the greatest event you could ever ride? It's, uh, it's special. Um, there's nothing like it. If there's one race, you know, if I could only do one race, uh, ever, that would be the race. No doubt. Uh, the length of it, um, you know, the people, the camaraderie, the, you know, the, the, the train, you know, I grew up riding a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, it's all very similar to me. Uh, I didn't know those roads particularly, but, uh, you know, yeah, it's incredible. The whole experience is, is really something else. I, I love Vegas Reno yeah. as, a, as a builder and as a racer. Um, yeah. and it, it, it will always be special to me. Yeah. Um, not everybody understands it, which, you know, when you talk to people, they think we're crazy. Oh yeah. Well, the thing I get a lot of, from a lot of people that just don't understand desert racing at all, they go, Oh, 500 miles on a thriller. They're like, that's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, on like dirt roads. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, those rough dirt roads that you see out there in the desert, like that's what we're on. And they're like, what? You're insane. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, well, a little, yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe, but it's, you know, it's something I grew up doing, you know, uh, I was always around desert racing and desert racing trucks and whatnot. I just, I never got into it because, um, family members and, you know, not that I'm trying to put anybody under the gun here, but, uh, uh, just everybody, friends, everybody else is, man, you know, it's so dangerous and, and the cost and everything else. And I really kicked myself because I should have just done it. And that's my, that's my advice for anybody watching this video that hasn't done it. Freaking do it. Buy a bike, buy a quad. You could go race this stock quad, uh, put a red flashing light on the back end and go race the thing and, you know, get a, a modern, you know, obviously you have to have a good helmet, uh, that's within a certain date. Um, that's it. Get your safety gear, go race, man. Um, you know, get some, talk to some people, get some knowledge, maybe do some local races. You don't want to jump right out there and do Vegas Reno. <laughs> Racing is an inherently, it's inherently dangerous. doesn't matter what you race, tricycles, three wheelers, four wheelers, motorcycles, trucks, the, the, the you can get hurt doing all of it. And if yep. you get the proper training, have the proper training, the gear, and do yeah. everything that you're supposed to. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get hurt. That just means that you're taking care of yourself and doing the best you can. You know, yeah. look at the football players and the baseball players. And I mean, any sport that you want to look at, you can get yeah. hurt doing. No doubt. And and I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, I have respect for the guys that say, no, I'll never do that because I just couldn't do it. Uh, at the same time, I respect them for that because that's that's being wise. Because not everybody can get out there and do it. Uh, I think the, the the band of rebels that, that I ride with and and uh, and race with and whatnot, and these other guys, and includes all the cars, trucks, everything. Uh, these people are something else, man. They're a type personality. You know, uh, excuse my language. They're all badasses. You got to be. <laughs> you know, I, I never looked at it like that. I yeah. didn't. I just looked at it as another race. You know, I mean, yeah. It is, you know, you just, okay, I got to ride that section. Okay, great. You know? Yeah. And, and you, I never thought, the only time I really got scared racing was when I was, I was in Mexico. Oh yeah, for sure. So, and it wasn't because it was dangerous. It was because everybody that I, that was standing on the sidelines, yipping in my ear, if they yeah. wouldn't have done that, I would have yeah. went and there and had a blast. 
Oh yeah. They psyched me out almost before. Um, yeah. And, and it really disappointed me on my finish because I think I could have done better yeah. if they wouldn't have done that. Yeah. And that's, I'll be honest with you. That's the same experience I have is uh, all of the people that kept talking to me in my ear that honestly, most of them had no experience at all. Uh, I listened to them and that was my biggest fear. And once I got out there and did it, I did one or two races. I was like, man, this is freaking awesome. I want to do this the rest of my life. <laughs> so how, do, yeah. how does, how does your, your wife take the racing and all that? Uh, she's a trooper. Uh, I got one of the best wives in the world. Thank God. Uh, she's an amazing woman. Uh, she's not, this is kind of crazy. She's not like a racer mentality type of person. She just, she's just easy going. She just likes to have a good time and, and, and live life, you know? And, and, uh, uh, but she's not like competitive. Well, she is, she's super competitive in soccer. She's a soccer player. Uh, but as soon as she met me, uh, right away, I was taking her to desert races back in 2005 or something like that. Uh, I was only 25 years old back then, but, uh, uh, I was taking her desert races and we went, we used to go, uh, volunteer and help pick with some of the VOR races. I grew up fours right here, you know, and, and, uh, so we used to go over to, uh, 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 what's it called? Anyways, uh, Prairie city, we used to go over to Prairie city and pit for some guys over there. And one of the guys, uh, they have a powder puff race and they, uh, they, they didn't have any girls to race the car. And so I, I was there with my girlfriend at the time and, uh, they're like, Hey, Stephanie, do, do you want to race this, uh, this car? And she's like, uh, she like looks at me and I'm like, I just looked at him. I said, listen, man, she has no experience in a car like that. Uh, but she's a good driver and she can drive a stick. And it was a class 10 car. And, uh, man, she jumped in there and absolutely freaking killed it. Uh, she is such a good driver. And, uh, she jumped in that car and immediately whole shot at everybody. Uh, by the second turn, she was five cars in front of every car truck out there. And, uh, and yeah, she led the whole race all the way up to the last lap, um, and a class seven truck. Uh, I don't know what they're called now, 1450, whatever the little Ford Rangers, uh, totally out of control. Um, was never going to make the corner or anything, just T-bone her last. It was like the second to last turn just came into the turn and just center punched her right in the, you know, right in the side. And it, uh, spun the car out. It kicked two injectors out of the engine, actually knocked the injectors and the rail off. Uh, so now it's running on two cylinders, it's still running, um, did a bunch of tube damage and whatnot. And she's a freaking trooper, man, the truck. So when it hit the car, the truck got straightened out on the track and it messed her up, spun her around. She got turned around and chased that truck down and going across the line, man, she was on the bumper of that truck with two cylinders on that car. And, uh, that was pretty cool. So she, she does a race before me a long time before me. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Maybe maybe yeah. maybe she should be sitting there. She's she's freaking rad. Uh she actually we raced and I don't maybe a lot of these uh, viewers don't know but I raced the Mint 400 uh uh not the, this last Mint but the one before that. They had two of them back to back within like 3 months. It was last year. Uh and it was an absolute disaster. The car fell apart unfortunately. Uh the guy that owns the car is a great guy, great guy. Uh but the car had just done uh, the Nora 1000. And with like minimal to no prep, 
I was given the car to go race the mint after a thousand mile race. And it's just, you can't do that. You know, and unfortunately we didn't have enough time to go through the car properly. And, and, uh, but anyways, uh, uh, went out and did it. And the co-driver that was with me, uh, good guy also, but he had never ridden in a race car. And I grew up driving these things. I had a class four race truck. I never raced it, but I had a class four race truck in my uh, late teens, early twenties. And uh, it was actually the old Kent Bullock truck. Um, and I grew up right driving that. My dad had it since I was 14 or something. So I grew up driving a class four truck, um, out in the desert and whatnot. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to brag, but I'm a pretty dang good driver. And so the co-driver that was with me, he was absolutely just a ball of nerves and couldn't, couldn't really take it. And so we pulled in after the first lap and he jumped out and, and nobody wanted to get in the car. And so I just looked at my wife and I said, suit up, let's go. You want to do this? And she's like, yeah, I'll do it. And so she jumps in. She's such a freaking gangster. She jumps in the car and she's calling turns and she's over there just having a freaking blast. And we finished that race and uh, she did a great job. So I want to get her in something eventually. That's awesome that you can rely on her that, that much. And, and yeah. has a great understanding of what you're doing. Oh, she does. And, uh, you know, she's always there to support me and, and jumps right out there. And, you know, and, and the amazing thing that, that gets me is like, I have such a huge job to, to support my family. And then, you know, even prepping these, these thrillers, it's nuts what it takes. Um, how these guys, well, it's real simple. They have teams to prep those trucks and stuff because, uh, you know, a lot of times I'm by myself doing these thrillers and it takes everything I have sometimes to get these things done. Uh, and she's doing preparing all the trailer and taking care of the kids and meals and everything else. And then she'll help me in the race too. And it's like, I don't know how you do all that. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, pretty awesome. When you got to the finish line, what went through your mind? I'll be honest with you, man. Uh, I was so wasted at that point because of, you know, the lack of sleep. Uh, I was delirious. Honestly, I couldn't think straight. Um, before I got to the finish line, let me back up. Before I got to the finish line, uh, I had, okay, let me back up even further. Halfway through the race, uh, I taped up in the beginning of the race. I never taped my hands ever. And I've seen a lot of pro riders, they tape up. I thought, you know what, I'm going to try that because I usually get calluses pretty bad. And so I taped up for the first time in my life. Halfway through the race, I pulled my gloves off and they were bloody and calloused and skin was coming off. And one of the guys that was with my, my buddy, Nick Fickle, my crew chief, he looked at my hands and he's, he almost puked. He was like, dude, you're going to continue. And I'm like, give me the black tape. And <laughs> so that was like forever was hashtag, give me the black tape. But uh, yeah, he got me this black tape that we had. I taped my hands up. And I, my hands were hurting bad. Uh, by the way, I'll never, ever tape up again. <laughs> but uh, that's what did it. And so my hands were destroyed halfway through the race. So into the race, uh, 11 miles out, Como Summit. Uh, everybody told me over and over and over, racers too, uh, told me the last 10 miles of Vegas Torino is the worst. And if you're watching this, the last 10 miles of Vegas Torino is the worst. That is not true at all. Okay. It's the first 10 miles of the last 20. So 20 miles out from the finish line is when the rocks start. And it is bad. I mean, it's just rough rocks, slabby rocks, loose rocks. You're going uphill. Uh, and, you know, there's no way to really go super slow uh, on a lot of it. 
And my guts were hurting. My kidneys were hurting. My, my butt was raw, literally raw. My hands were destroyed. And, you know, and I'm 20 miles out and the rocks are so bad. And I get to the, I get towards the top of the summit, but I didn't know it because I'd never been down those roads. It's nighttime at this point. It's dark. Um, I get towards the end of the rocks. I didn't know it though. And I was 11 miles out and I'm looking at the 11 mile marker, you know, or, or it was the 11 mile, 11 mile, whatever it was, uh, 490 something miles, whatever. Anyways, I'm looking at it. And I'm going the last 10 miles of the worst, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I have, this is, it gets worse than this, you know? And I got off the bike and I walked off, you know, a hundred yards off the course and I took a leak and, uh, and I'm standing there and I, and I, class one car goes ripping by me, you know, I'm in the dust and I'm going, I was just miserable. And I'm for the first time in my life, cause I'm not a quitter. I don't quit. You'd have to light my bike on fire for me to quit. I don't quit. And so, uh, for the first time in my life, I almost quit. I was that bad off. And, uh, and I was sitting there and I'm thinking, man, this is miserable. I want this to be over. And I'm looking at the bike and I'm looking at the rocks and I'm going the last 10 miles, the worst man, I'm not doing this. I'm done, man. I just don't, I don't want to do this. And then I sat there thinking that for a second. I thought, what's wrong with you, man? You're 11 miles away. You just went almost 500 miles. Go, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and I told myself, I said, you know what? There's no way in God's green earth. I would, I would quit right there. That's not in me. I don't quit. So I got on the bike and I fired it up and I went a hundred yards and the rocks quit. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so, so I'm coming down the backside of the hill and you're coming down into Dayton, Nevada. And there's some bumpy spots, but it's not bad. I mean, if, if you were in good shape uh, at that point in the race, you could just haul butt down the hill. It's no big deal. Uh, but it's windy coming down off the mountain. And there's a dirt bike came up. Uh, he was probably a couple miles behind me. And I thought, oh, he's going to catch me quick, you know. He must have been just as bad off because uh, he never caught me. And I was in second gear on a 350X. That's pretty slow. In <laughs> second gear, and I was just putting down that hill. And there's a section right before the finish line. You come up this hill, and right as you come over the hill, you can look down, and you can see uh, the fairgrounds and everything in the finish line. And I'm like, and the whole time I'm praying, please, Lord, let's be over. Please, Lord, let's be over. <laughs> I, was, I was hurting. And I, I see the finish line and I'm like, oh, heck yes. Yeah. So I'm like, then I get on it and I grabbed a couple of gears and I come flying down the hill, you know, and, and uh, I pull up to the start of the finish line and the first person there is Nolan Rudd. And I'm really thankful for that. And uh, Nolan Rudd is ecstatic, you know, uh, because he, you know, he, he made it happen. He's the guy that made thrillers uh, race in uh, Best in Desert, period. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's standing there and he's like, Randall, he's like, dude, he did it. He's like, you know, he's all amped up and he's like, you know, how are you doing? And this, and that. And I just looked at him and I just told him, man, I'm so tired right now. So wasted. I said, I don't even, I don't even, I think, I think I probably would have cried because I just finished the race that I wanted to do for 25 years. You know what I mean? And it would have been really emotional, but I was so wasted. I couldn't even be emotional. And I just looked at him and said, man, I got nothing to say. I'm just, I'm happy. I'm here. I'm happy. It's over. <laughs> so you That's know, awesome. Afterwards. Yeah. It was just, you know, afterwards it starts to sink in and it takes, it took months. It took months to, to sink into to what I had actually accomplished, you know, and, and, uh, uh, it, awesome. One of the best experiences of my life for sure. 
what did when you called your wife? Oh, she she was there at the finish line. She was at the finish line. Yeah, my my a lot of my family was there and stuff. So they got uh, to because you guys she didn't go down the hill with you in the beginning in the in the U-Haul, did she? No, no, nobody. I went by myself. Oh, so they they drove separately and they, no, didn't they stayed know about all the things that had went on. Yeah, they no, they stayed here home uh and just waited for me. This is what we do every year. They stay here. Uh and because I we start down there and come up, they just meet me at the finish line. Uh and I got my crew that goes along with me. So the family just stays stays home. Uh how far away from the finish line do you live? Oh, it's probably an hour and fifteen minutes, something like that. It was the longest 15 minute ride home ever, wasn't it? Yeah, but well, about an hour, hour, hour and a half or so, hour and 15 minutes. Uh the ride home, uh (laughs) the ride home was miserable. Uh I should have took some ibuprofen. Nobody had any uh, that I could find. And I, my back was hurting so bad. I was just, I was miserable. I was like, get me home, get me in bed. And I think I slept for 12 or 14 hours after that, that race. <laughs> wow. Um, you work with your hands for a living, correct? Sure. How long did it take for your hands to recover? Uh, three months for my hands to heal. So, uh, I had no feeling in my hands. Uh, I think because of the taping up cut off circulation, uh, and the vibration. Um, so, and I'm not going to say why, but, uh, the rear tire shook so bad all the way to Reno. Uh, they shook so bad and, and guys don't understand it. When you're on a quad, you have two front tires to catch it. So if the back, let's say the left rear hopping, the right front catches it or the opposite, you know? And so the vibrations kind of mitigated a little bit. We're on a three-wheeler, everything pivots on that front tire. So if your back tires are shaking, the whole bike shakes side to side and it's violent. Uh, and it just destroyed my hands. Uh, and not permanently, but, uh, yeah, it was, I didn't, my hands didn't start getting back, uh, most of their feeling, uh, to almost about two months out. And, uh, yeah, it took three months to heal. I did another race two months after Vegas to Reno and, you know, my hands were still pretty bad. I was worried about it. I didn't know if I could even do the race. Uh, so, but it was the taping up that did all of it. I'm sure because I've done plenty of races since and had no issue like that. Yeah. I'm a no glove guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. I yeah no, tape, I don't glove. I don't nothing. Very Yeah. yeah. No, I couldn't do that. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just, I don't like gloves. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, the problem is, is it the more material you have there it wrinkles up in your hand and it causes calluses and stuff. And it's just like, and I understand why guys like the, the real super thin gloves, but you know, a set of those real super thin gloves wouldn't last for a race, you know? Um, so another buddy of mine, um, Dave Arnold, uh, he helped it for me this year. Uh, he, uh, he super glues his hands. And so they used to call him super glue Dave. And so he hates it by the way. Uh, but they call him super glue Dave. And so they told me about it and I didn't even know Dave at the time. And I said, what the heck? I'm going to try it. And so that's what I did. The, I raced the, uh, uh, Earrington 300. I got first place. Oh, where that trophy is somewhere in here. 
Anyways, uh, I did the Urington 300. Oh, right there, the far, far left one for you guys. Uh, got first place, uh, and uh, that was two months out. I super glued my hands, super glued my fingers, and, and my hands where you get calluses. That is the best trick ever. I didn't, when I got done with that race, I literally had just one tiny little one starting, and that was it. And my hands hadn't even fully healed from Vegasterino. So, and then, and it just, the, the super glue was basically gone by the time you finished the race. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I shouldn't give away all my secrets, but yeah, I super glue my hands now. Works. Well, that's a pretty <laughs> good little trick, right? Yeah. Yep. So, and then, uh, Another thing I tried too was those, uh, I think they're called pro grip, uh, makes those big, big grips. Uh, a lot of the CR 500 guys used to like them because they help with their vibration and whatnot. Uh, they don't work on the DT. They work perfect on the thrifty X, but the, uh, the DT 450, the modern trike, uh, they're just too big, they're too fat. So I run a smaller grip that's more grippy. That's I, I could see that. Um, yeah we're probably going to run out of time to get into the other bike. Uh, and I really want to, that was one yeah. of the things that I did want to talk about as well. Um, yeah. because you've, uh, done some of your own testing in your own building and made that machine uh, your own. Yeah. And I wanted to get a little bit more information about it. So what I'm going to probably ask you to do is come back and sit down with me again and we can get in depth a little farther with that machine and then yeah. some of the industry things that that we didn't talk about this time because that Vegas Torino race really we've been trying since you raced that race yeah to do this yeah and I apologize I wanted to do this a year ago you know right. but uh uh yeah I just so busy with work and and you know, and, uh, the thriller, I'll be honest with you, the thriller, uh, the new one, the modern one, uh, people ask what it costs. And you, you and I talked about this about a month ago, you know, they asked what it costs and, and somebody said, Oh, I bet you could buy one of those for about seven grand. And I'm like, you could buy the tires and wheels and, and maybe part of it for seven grand. <laughs> right. uh, you know, I have, I have, uh, over 600 hours in the new modern one, uh, fabricating the swing arm and the, subframe and designing all that and developing it working with damien on uh the triple clamps and stuff we developed uh, triple clamps first in the industry uh negative rate clamps for a modern trike nobody's done it uh we were the first ones that i know of uh and damien and i worked on that we developed those and uh that made the steering a lot lighter um stuff like that but yeah 600 plus hours and uh you know you want to build one of these modern trikes go out and race those things you know my whole package for the 350x for for uh, 2021, uh, that whole race, uh, entry fees, bike gear, everything included. I was probably in that whole thing, $7,000, um, which is a lot of, that's a chunk of money, uh, for some people, uh, you know, but that isn't even, that doesn't even scratch the surface on what my budget was for this last year. Uh, this last year, 600 plus hours and North of $30,000 in parts. So this is going to sound totally absurd and most people probably just go, Oh, that's nonsense. You know, but it's, it's, it is, it's, it's truth. Uh, you're coming up on a hundred thousand dollar thriller, which is absurd. Me even saying that, but when you, when you add, when you realistically add hours, I yeah. totally get it because 
That's the one thing that everybody discounts. Oh, I could do that work myself. Okay. What is your dollar figure when you're doing the work? Yeah. And that's how we want to calculate that. You know? Yeah. And that's, by the way, that's at $100 an hour. Shop rate for developing all those parts that I've done, uh, that Damien and I have done, you know, uh, drawing up in CAD and then making them and, and, you know, turning them out on the lathe at the mill. Uh, every single little piece, I mean, I don't know how many pieces went in the swing arm, but it was a lot. Uh, you know, the, the time to do that. Uh, yeah, if you don't count your time, yeah. I mean, it, you know, 30 plus thousand dollars, that's no big deal. But with the time, it's insane. Well, so. I look at it, I get that because, you know, I'm not fabbing a swing arm and doing that, but yeah, can build a four-wheeler to go race Vegas to Reno. Yeah from bare frame to finish and nobody believes this to do it right. In my opinion, it's a 60 hour job. Yeah. You know, and, and they're like, well, how could it take 60 hours? You know, you can put a bike together in eight to 12 hours. And I go, yeah, you can't, can't do it right now. Yeah. There's no way. And so I totally respect that. I have a question because I've all, I, I think about this weird stuff all the time. You were talking about the negative rake, the yeah. rake on a, on a three fifty X or a two fifty R. I don't know the rake. Yeah. But how do you get to figure that to make it work on the modern day stuff? Um, are you working off of two fifty R, uh, rake or are you working off your own rake? So what we did is Damien and I talked and Damien's kit, you know, DT motorsports is as far as dirt bike conversions, it is the best kit out there, period. And it's the cheapest, by far the cheapest. Um, and one thing that makes it the best kit is the motorcycle itself, the Yamaha. And, you know, a lot of Honda guys are going to, oh, they're going to hate that, that statement, but it's true. And it took Damien a minute to, to convince me also, because I grew up racing Yamahas. Uh, I ended up switching to KTM and then I ended up going to Honda. Uh, and, or I'm sorry, Honda and then KTM in the end, but back when I was racing, uh, uh, arena cross and whatnot. Um, but, and I was always kind of a Honda guy anyway, but, uh, uh, you know, at that point when I met Damien, I was a diehard Honda guy and, but he explained to me, you know, Damien's incredibly intelligent and he explained to me, uh, fork angle and how the frames designed for the swing arm and that, you know, the way everything works, the 06 to 09, uh, YZ platform is just for a, and I'm talking specifically for a motorcycle conversion is just the best platform. It really is. Um, there's other bikes that could be used. Um, the Hondas and, and please Honda guys don't get all upset at this, but the Hondas are the worst and I'm a Honda guy. Okay. I love Hondas, but, uh, they're just terrible. The fork angle is really bad. I think they're 29 or 30 degrees or something. Uh, the maybe 28, I think it's 29. Uh, but there, but can you fix that some of that angle with triple clamp technology? I think if you there's a fine line there, if you if you make the negative rate come back too far, I think you're going to end up with a caspering effect, uh, that is going to make the handling not good. Uh, we're to, to, to answer your question, we are working on a Honda kit now, uh, and it's not going to be available. We're not going to we're not going to produce it or do anything, uh, but. There's other companies out there that do the Hondas right now, and they're absolutely horrendous. They're the worst on the market, uh, but they're real popular. Uh, so not to name anybody, but 
uh, we're doing a Honda to show that it can be done better. Uh, is it going to be as good as the Yamaha platform? Probably not, uh, but it could be a whole lot better than the other things that are on the market right now. Um, so yeah, we're, we're working on that. Um, Yamaha has a really good uh, fork angle. The KTM's uh, Gas Gas and Husqvarna Sync Bike, uh, they have the same fork angle as the Yamaha to start with. I think it's 27 degrees. So they're actually a pretty good candidate. Uh, the issue is getting plastics to work and the seat to work and all that, which isn't a big deal. Um, That's just a, those are just dirty words, though. Yeah, we don't. I, I raced KTM and I don't race KTM now for a reason. I don't own any KTMs and I don't want any KTMs. Uh, so fastest bike I ever owned, period. Worst suspension ever. Uh, so, um, but I'd go to a race and bring four seals with me. That's how bad it was. Uh, so, uh, the, the, what we based everything off of, uh, Damien and I based everything off of for my particular trike and his too, his is identical to mine now, uh, or his, we built his first actually, but, uh, we based the fork angle, the length, the wheelbase, everything is based off of the 350X. So if I took my 350X, and I will do that, I'll do that here soon. Maybe we'll get them set up for next the next video. Uh, if I put them side by side, you'd be shocked at how close the DT is to my 350X. They're very similar. Um, and my 350X, is it's got its own issues, but uh, the length of it and the fork angle and all of that, we took right off of my 350X. So that's that's awesome that's really yeah. cool um yeah. Rangel, i want to thank you so much for taking the time and i really appreciate you being patient with me when you were ready i wasn't and vice versa but we got this thing in and i want to do a second a second go around with you to get in yeah. depth more with uh you on a on a on a different three-wheeler doing some different races and, and how those things come out and then talk a little bit more development. If, if you'd be interested, I would absolutely be interested in, and, uh, it would be the team uh, here at ATV you know, talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATV talk podcast.com. San Diego's body evolution and wellness center with over 17 years experience Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time. <laughs>